Hello, my name is Benjamin Pace, and this is the No Content Podcast, the podcast that I started because I wanted to have a podcast before everyone does. We have no content for ducks. Hey there, my little no contempt ducklings, my little my little my little ducks. Hope you got all your ducks in a row. Hope I got all my ducks in a row because you know I'm about to do a podcast. So maybe that's maybe that's what I should start calling you know my 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 listeners, my little my little no contempt ducks. You know because we have no contempt for ducks. I don't know. What do you think? I don't know because you can't tell me. And I mean, you could actually tell me. In fact, if if you know there are certain platforms that do allow reviews and things of that nature. So if, if you ever feel so inclined to respond to that, uh, you may in fact do that. And, and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm actually thinking about making some, uh, some no contempt merch. I don't, you know, even if just I wore it, I think that would be fun. I'm thinking about a t-shirt that says, uh, you know, no contempt for ducks, a little duck on there, maybe a little quack, quack sound, you know, something like that on the, you know, in on the shirt, like not actual sound, but you know what I mean? Or like a, you know, like a, a like a, a, just a quotations that says right off the bat, you know, just cause I always say right off the bat or, or something of that nature, looking into that, looking into that more in the near future. Um, well, in fact, at the time that I'm recording this, you know, the near future may already be the near past by the time I'm releasing these, cause I'm releasing these, in February of 2021, um, all as a part of a Valentine's Day series is is what this this is the beginning of. Um, this podcast is the beginning of of uh, what's supposed to be about four four uh, podcasts um, uh, that are coming out on Valentine's Day, um, and and it's all about how to how to uh, invest in a home. That's what these podcasts are all about, how to properly invest in a home. And I thought that would be appropriate to talk about on Valentine's Day. No, not really. That's not what they're about. Um, this is These are all about romance and, and everything that goes along with that topic. Not only um, what it's kind of become in society, but also what it should be and what it's supposed to be from the perspective of the Word of God and from the heart of God. And that's kind of what I want to get into today. What I want to start, not kind of get into. I'm, I'm actually gonna, gonna, gonna get waist deep at least. Gonna, gonna get into the the six foot, you know, section of the pool. I'm not. I don't know if we're gonna go to the deep end. Maybe I think. I think today we're gonna go go to like the, you know, like six feet where it's like your head's still above water, but you're not having to put too much effort in trying to to float. You know, I think that's where we're gonna go today. Um, the, the latter end of these podcasts, um, will probably go into the deep end and you'll have to paddle a little bit. And, uh, if you don't know how to swim, that's okay. You know, we, you know, we'll help you. I can help you. We'll just, you know, someone will be there. We can get you a little, a little life jacket so you don't drown, so you don't sink. And, uh, yeah. Anyway, today, uh, we're just going to step into the, the six foot section of the pool and, and just kind of, just kind of adjust to the water, you know, just adjust to the temperature, you know, uh, and and we'll see, we'll see where we go from there today. Oh, by the way, this is the no content podcast. My name is Benjamin Pace. You knew that, but I, I don't know that I said that in the beginning.
That is what this is, in case you were confused. You're like, I thought this was the, the Betty Crocker cooking podcast. Well, it's not. Sorry to disappoint you. And I want to talk about romance today. I want to talk about what it means to be a romantic. And I want to talk about what a lot of people have associated romance with versus what it is supposed to be. I want to talk about how a lot of people have kind of gotten away from romance in their relationship with God and and in, in the Bible and, and seeing the romantic side of God and the Bible and, and how it's so important not only, you know, um, in, in our natural relationships, especially romantic relationships, um, to to not just approach things from a just high, uh, oh what's the word I'm looking for just a just a cut and dry you know um, practical way all the time but but you know in the same way that you're supposed to to see some natural things through the eyes of of romance and through love and 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 through your heart and a tender heart we're supposed to see our relationship with God that way as well and and I want to kind of marry those two things, no pun intended, um, today in this podcast. So I'm going to start out um, reading a chapter, not a whole chapter, but several verses of a chapter uh, in the Bible. Um, and this is in the Passion Translation, and I really like the Passion Translation because I feel like that's what it does. I feel like this translation really takes some of the scriptures and, and really um, shows, them, shows them in a romantic light. And is the best way to describe it, and even the Psalms, especially, and different things. It almost turns it into poetry. And some people don't like this translation because they don't feel like it's accurate. Um, I do really like it, and I feel like it's one of those things that you definitely want to have a foundation of the original text, and you don't want to add to the Word of God. We're not supposed to do that. But you know, the Bible is living and active. And it's supposed to speak to us, and it's supposed to become more than words on a page. It's supposed to be written on our heart. And we're never supposed to add to or take away from the Scriptures. But God can open up the Word of God to you to see it in a different way. And really, the more I've read this translation, that's how I see it, is is it's just God is opening up um, uh, how we see the scriptures. I don't believe it's changing the integrity of the scripture. And, and like I said, it's good to have a foundation. It's good to know the original text so that you're not just basing, you know, everything you believe on a certain translation and what it says. It's good to know the original, but then you can compare it back to that and you can say, Hey, this, this doesn't seem quite right. Um, this is what the original text says. I don't feel like this is accurate to that. And that's called rightly dividing the word. And we're told to do that. Um, but it doesn't mean we can't look at these newer translations. It doesn't mean we have to throw the baby out with the bathwater, which is a really horrible like catch like phrase if, if you think about it. And and I, you know, we're just so used to saying things like that. In uh, Psalm 45, verse 1, and we're going to read a few verses here in the Passion Translation, it says this. My heart is on fire, boiling over with passion. Bubbling up within me are these beautiful lyrics as a lovely poem to be sung for the king. Like a river bursting its banks, I'm overflowing with words, spilling out into the sacred story. Beautiful, beautiful, beyond the sons of men, elegant grace pours out through every word you speak. Truly God has anointed you, his favored one, for eternity. Now strap your lightning sword of judgment upon your side, O mighty warrior, so majestic. You are full of beauty and splendor as you go out to war. In your glory and grandeur, 
you go forth in victory. Through your faithfulness and meekness, the cause of truth and justice will stand. Awe-inspiring miracles are accomplished by your power, leaving everyone dazed and astonished. Astonished, excuse me. Skipping a little bit ahead, it says, You are passionate for righteousness and you hate lawlessness. This is why God, your God, crowns you with bliss above your fellow kings. He has anointed you more than any other with his oil of fervent joy, the very fragrance of heaven's gladness. Your royal robes release the scent of suffering love for your bride. The odor of aromatic incense is upon you. From the pure and shining place, lovely music that makes you glad is played for your pleasure. The daughters of kings, women of honor, are maidens in your court. And standing beside you, glistening in your pure and golden glory, is the beautiful bride-to-be. Now listen, daughter, pay attention and forget about your past. Put behind you every attachment to the familiar, even those who once were close to you. For your royal bridegroom is ravished by your beautiful brightness. Bow in reverence before him, for he is your Lord. Wedding presents pour in from those of great wealth. The royal friends of the bridegroom shower you with gifts. As the princess bride, uh uh-oh, shout out, Mewage! As the princess bride enters the palace, how glorious she appears within the holy chamber, robed with a wedding dress embroidered with pure gold. Lovely and stunning, she leads the procession with all her bridesmaids as they, can, as they come before you. Her bridegroom king, what a grand majestic entrance, a joyful glad procession as they enter the palace gates. Your many sons will one day be kings just like their father. They will sit on a royal thrones all around the world. I will make sure the fame of your name is honored in every generation as all the people praise you, giving thanks forever and ever. (gasps) Oh, wow. That was a lot. I know that was, that was quite a bit of scripture. That was 17 verses. And uh, the reason why I wanted to read that whole thing just in the beginning is because it is such a picture of what I would call divine romance. And, And obviously, it's being pinned by a person who who seems like she's describing her husband a lot like in the Song of Solomon when the woman is describing her love and adoration for her husband. But you you can't read this and not not see very clearly that this is also prophetically speaking of Jesus and the bride of Christ. And so, you know, if you've had the the courage, you know, to read the Song of Solomon, you know, you see that it is a picture of a husband and wife, and they are expressing their adoration for each other, and even even their attraction to each other, and things of that nature. And it's not ashamed of it. It's it's you know, it's pretty spicy, but it's not in a weird or or worldly lustful kind of way. It's it's a pure spirit. It's a pure. It's the word of God, and it's anointed, and it's a picture of the passion that we're supposed to have with Jesus. It's a picture that of the of the passionate love that's supposed to be between the body of Christ, the bride of Christ and the bridegroom which is Jesus. And I'm going to say this right in the beginning. God is a romantic. You you look you read the Bible from from beginning to end and you see that God loves romance. He he is very romantic himself. He is very he loves the theatrical. He he loves to to describe his love and his and his passion for his people in in poetic terms. He's not afraid to do that. He he's not afraid of being too cheesy. He's not afraid of being too overboard. God's not afraid of of expressing his love in in, in a romantic way. 
And, and you see this from the beginning, whether it's the story of Adam and Eve and how Adam first saw Eve and, and, and wrote a poem for her in the beginning and said, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. And, and loved her immediately. And, and you go a little bit ahead and you see the story of Isaac and Rebecca and, and how, which actually we're going to talk about that story more in the podcast, The One, which is a part of this series that'll be releasing on, you know, around Valentine's Day altogether. And uh, you see that, that the Holy Spirit helped Abraham's servant to go and find Rebecca and brought brought her to Isaac. And, and the Bible says that Isaac immediately loved her deeply and, and he, and he fell in love with her and he didn't waste any time either. He's like, you know, well, they didn't have an engagement, you know, they didn't have an engagement period. He's just like, you know, uh, they didn't have to make any wedding plans. They, they, they got hitched immediately. So he must've, he must've been pretty excited, but you know, uh, you see through the Bible, there's just this theme of, of, of romance. And, and you also see, though, how, how the ways of men have corrupted the romance of God. Oh, man. That's just, I'm going to say that again. You see how the, the ways and the shallowness of men have corrupted the romance of God. And, and how even throughout the whole Testament, how marriage began to come, become like a just kind of a... Uh, an accessory <laughs> and just a way to, to reproduce and, and women were not treated right and men would have multiple wives. And, and, you know, even though there's some confusion in the Bible about like, well, how did God allow men to have multiple wives? And the truth is, you know, God's tolerated a lot of stuff that wasn't his plan um, over the years. And, and even Jesus said to the Pharisees when asked about the question of divorce, he, he said, God gave you the ability to divorce your wives because of the hardness of your heart. But from the beginning, it has not been this way. And, and what he's referring to is in the garden, in the, in the garden with Adam and Eve, God made one woman and one man and, and, and joined them together. And that was God's design. And that's what he wanted. That's what he desired for a man. That was his, his standard. But men have corrupted it through, through their ideas, through their shallowness, through their um, wrong influences and things of that nature. And God's quite frankly had to put up with it. But God is a romantic and, uh, you know, you see this all the way spilling into to the New Testament. And, and obviously, you know, before you get to the New Testament, you go through Proverbs and, and Song of Solomon and you see and even you go into the book of Hosea and, and some of these prophetic books. And you still see that God has this jealousy for for Israel as his bride. And, and he has he, he, he acts like a jealous husband and he acts the way a husband would act if, a, if his wife was cheating on him. And he he's not he, he's a jealous God, the Bible says he, he's not um, just whatever about it. He's not blase. He's he has intense feelings. Did you know that God has emotions? This is, this is a revelation to some people, but God actually has emotions. Some people leave the idea that that you shouldn't have certain emotions that if you're, you know, because the Bible says the fruit of the spirit is joy, that if, if, you know, you're, you're walking in the spirit, you'll always have one emotion, but joy is not an emotion. Joy is a spirit. It's a fruit of the spirit. And, and there are different emotions that you can be experiencing and even expressing and still be walking in the fruit of the spirit of joy. And that's kind of a deep topic that I'm not going to get too far into, but I'll say this. There are times that the Bible says God has been grieved. There's times that the Bible says God was angry. 
Now, the Bible tells us to be angry and sin not and not let the sun go down upon our wrath because thank, thank God that the Bible says that his wrath is but for a moment, but his, endure, his mercy endures for a lifetime. But, you know, the Bible talks about God being happy and singing over us. And, and, and the Bible even talks about God laughing. And, and you know, uh, there's times in the, in the Old Testament where, where prophets by the Spirit of God made fun of and mocked false gods and things like that. God, God's got a sense of humor. There, God is not uh, just this kind of um, mindless energy and that he doesn't, he can't identify with human emotion. No, um, we're made in the image of God and God does have emotion. And God, uh, he's a God of romance. Man, and, and I'll be honest with you, I, I, uh, I've, I've wondered sometimes what, what happened to real romance. Um, you know, in the world we live in now, just about every romantic movie has has not. It's not really a romance. It's just a. It's just some kind of excuse to make uh, some kind of soft pornographic movie or something like that. Or, or it all revolves around lust. Or it all revolves around you know something dirty or wrong. And, and uh, you know I, I hate that. But I love I love good like pure romances. I love movies. I'll be honest with you. I'm a dude. Hey, listen, listen. Okay. I'm a normal dude, okay? I I like action movies just as much as the other dude. You know, I like sports. I'm I'm cool with that, you know. I like steak. I like you know, I'm a I'm a normal dude, okay? I've got a beard. Okay? You don't know what I look like. Well, you probably do cuz there's a picture of me in the podcast. But I've got a beard, okay? I'm a dude. Okay? Don't 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 wonder whether or not I'm a normal dude, but I like, you know, I like action movies. But I also like a good romance. And I think there's a lot of guys that, that are more romantic than they're willing to admit when it really comes down to it. And, and that's, that's a good thing because God's romantic, and he's not afraid of that. He's not afraid to be romantic. And I like good movies that are like have good romances that are resolved. You know, I, I really don't like unresolved romances. I, I don't like movies that it's got some weird, bizarre ending where you think they're supposed to get together, but then they don't. And it's, I don't know, that just annoys me. Like, you know, I, Hallmark movies are hard to watch. I'll be honest with you. It's painful because of how cheesy. But I will say this. I do appreciate the just safe predictability of Hallmark movies and that you just know how it's going to turn out, you know? But but some of these movies where it's like they're supposed to get together, but they don't. And then it's just like, I don't know. I just love resolved romances. I love it when the people that are supposed to get together get together in the end. You know, that's the way it should be. But, you know, uh, I'll say this, though. Um, romance is not lust and it's not infatuation. Um Society is saturated with what I would call fake romance. Um, I like how John Mayer once described what he called how Hollywood defined love, and that was a Hollywood hot pink Roman candle romance. And he said that that he didn't. That's not the kind of love he wanted. Um, and, and I would agree with him on that note. You know, uh, I'll, I'll go ahead and say this. I have not seen these movies or read these books, and I won't uh, do either one of those things. But Fifty Shades of Grey is not romance. Uh, it's perversion is what it is. And there's no love in it. Um, <laughs> we're going to get more into this in some of the podcasts to come. Um, but pornography has nothing to do with romance. And uh, I'm just going to throw this in there. Uh, married couples shouldn't be watching that stuff any more than single people should. But anyway, I better leave that alone for now. We're going to get more into that kind of stuff in the podcast, Honor and Sex. And that's going to be the deep end. That's the one you're going to have to bring your life jacket and, and, and your floaties to. But we'll get into that more later.
But you know, uh, romance is a rich part of our relationship with God. And if you're not romantic with your relationship with God, the truth is you're missing out. Um, people aren't romantic the way they should be because quite frankly, they don't experience the romance that God wants them to have with him. And, and they don't, they haven't experienced that. And they, maybe they're, they're hard hearted or maybe they've been hurt or things like that. But, you know, we're supposed to have a passionate romance with God. We're supposed to, in our times of worship with God and our times of, of fellowship with God, it's supposed to be an exciting time. It's not supposed to be a drag drudge kind of thing. It's not supposed to be like a duty, you know, it's not supposed to be like, Oh, I guess I have to do this. You know, I've heard people say before, you know, well, worship isn't about you. It's about, you just need to come to give praise to God. You just need to come to give praise to God. And and that's all it's about. Well, I understand that. You know, the Bible talks about a sacrifice of praise. And, and I know that you don't always feel like it in the flesh. Um, but at the same time, I once heard somebody say it like this. If you're not getting a whole lot out of your time in worship, don't assume that God's enjoying it either. Um you know, if two people are in love and they love each other, um, you don't want them, somebody to spend time with you as a duty because they feel like they're obligated to. You want, you want them to want to spend time with you. They want you to want to spend time with them. It's supposed to be exciting. It's supposed to be fun. It's supposed to be something you look forward to. And the same is true in our time with God and our relationship with God. We're supposed to have that exciting, romantic element with God. And if that's a foreign concept, that's why we're we're talking about this podcast today. We're talking about how God is a God of romance. And, you know, I want to say this too. You know, romance has has been distorted in a lot of ways. Um, you know, we, we're going to talk more about this, but, you know, uh, sex is not romance and, and, and it can be a part of it within the marriage covenant. And yes, it, it is, but it's not the revolving factor of what romance is because really romance has more to do with, with love for another person than it does what you are getting for yourself or selfish things. And, and, and love, Jesus showed the greatest romance in his overwhelming desire to save us. To, to, to the, that's why it's referred to as the passion of the Christ, because it's, it's this thing where it's, it's this burning desire to do good to somebody else, to do good to the other person, to to want to be a blessing to them, to want to to connect with them, but it's not just a selfish thing. It's not just a hey, let me get what I want kind of thing. And don't misunderstand me. I, I in within marriage, you know, that's a part of it, a healthy relationship. Yes, absolutely. But I want to emphasize this about romance today. That's that is not the foundational cornerstone of romance. Romance is so much more than that. And I've said this already, but we are the bride of Christ, and, and there is supposed to be a romance going on between us and Jesus. There's a movie um, that I like. It's, it's, not, <laughs> it's not remotely theologically accurate in a lot of ways, but it does paint a picture um, of something that I really like. And it's a movie uh, called What Dreams May Come, and it's about heaven, and it talks about heaven. Now, and like I said, there's a lot of stuff in this movie that is not theologically accurate at all. But the thing I like about this movie, and I saw it um, years ago, is is because basically um, a husband and his wife, they, it just shows how they meet and they fell in love and, and how much they love each other. And, and, and in the movie, it's like they're soulmates. Now, as far as the whole soulmate thing, we're going to get more into that in the podcast, The One. Um, so not promoting everything in this movie. 
uh, a lot of stuff I'm not promoting in it, but there's just one thing I want to talk about and it paints a picture of is how they, they love each other. And, um, basically what happens is the husband gets in a car wreck and goes to heaven and he's in heaven and it shows heaven or at least what their idea of heaven is. But then the wife, because she can't handle the grief, commits suicide. And in the movie, she goes to hell and how they portray hell. And, uh, the husband doesn't find out about it right away. He's in heaven and he's like, I, I, you know, um, where's my wife? And, and one of the angels is like, well, she's, she's in hell and, and he can't handle that. So he, he, instead of staying in heaven, basically travels to, like I said, this is not theologically, you just, there's a lot of bones you got to spit out. So just bear with me here. It's just a, a type and shadow of something. Um, so he travels to hell basically to go and find his wife. And, and in the movie, basically what happens is eventually he finds his wife in hell and she's, you know, she doesn't remember him or anything. She's just, you know, in despair. And, and what happens basically is he decides that he's going to take her place in hell mm, so that she can go to heaven. And because of that sacrifice, in the movie, they are both allowed to go to heaven. God allows them both to go to heaven in the movie. Now, like I said, not theologically accurate. It's like, it's like, you know, you know, like when you're eating chicken and it's just like, a, you just got to kind of strip the, the, the meat off the bones. That's kind of what this is. It's like a rotisserie chicken, you know, from Country Mart. You just got to, you just got to strip the meat off. And I'm not saying to build any doctrines. I, you know, I'm not even necessarily saying go watch the movie. But I just wanted to paint this picture real quick because it does show of real love is self-sacrifice. And it's a picture of what Jesus did for us. He said, I'll take their place so that they can be where I, I am. And, and he took our place. He was the sacrifice for us. And, and, and the reason why I like that is because it's a picture of what real romance is. It's the ultimate form of love is to lay down your life for the person that you love, for the one that you love. It's something so much deeper than just physical affection or, or, or even just emotional high, it, it's something deeper. It's a deeper form of love. It's a deeper form of romance. This is what divine romance is. I really like the movie. I've talked about this before, Cinderella. And again, um, you know, Cinderella is all about magic and fairies and all kinds of stuff. And none of that is accurate. None of that is biblical. And, and I'm not saying that we should support any of that kind of stuff. But it is a picture of a similar thing, how Cinderella, you know, she, her whole life is, is kind of a, you know, uh, just a slave to her stepmother and her sisters and no one notices her and, and anything, everything like that. But then, you know, what happens, uh, she's riding through the forest one day and she happens to meet the prince and, uh, something about her captures the attention of the prince. And it's not because she's got the nicest clothes on. It's not because she's, you know, all this fancy stuff, it's because of her kindness and it's because of her courage and it's because of her character. And of course, yes, because she's beautiful, but that it was more than that, that captures his attention. And I love how out of all the, the, the potential princesses that he could have married, he's, he's looking and waiting for this one. And now we're getting, we're getting over into the podcast, the one a little bit, but you know, <laughs> I don't want to spill over too much. Because we're going to talk a little bit more about that, but uh, and then what happens? She leaves her glass slipper, and then he's you know all that happens, and she's the only one that fits the glass slipper. Uh, it's a picture 
um, uh, uh, of what romance really is, that he, he could have had all these other women, but he seeks out this one woman um, out of all the other ones in the whole kingdom. And because uh, there was something about her, there was something that he, he chose her and, and out of all of them. And, and really, in that movie, you know, it only applies to a relationship between two people. But the truth is, that's the same attitude that Jesus has toward each one of us. He, he's seeking us out. He's looking for us. He, he's in love with us. And he wants us to come away with him. He wants us to be his, to have that rich relationship with him. You know, I've, I've said this before, um, you know, talk about eat the meat, spit out the bones. Um, I've been a fan of The Office in the past. And, and I, I understand that, I, you know, uh, The Office has, has got some dirty jokes and stuff like that. And I'm not I'm not supporting that. I'm not promoting that. But there's some pretty good jokes and things of that nature. And, and you know, it's hard not to laugh at it. Um, but, you know, I, I've said this before, you know, Jesus wants a Jim and Pam relationship with you, not a Ryan and Kelly one. <laughs> I said that in a podcast a while back, but I, I'm, it'll bear repetition. You know, Jesus does not want this shallow, one-sided, on-again, off-again uh, relationship with you. He That's just one-sided and just, you know, just trying to get what I can get out of it. No, he wants a mutual, loving, rich romance with you. He wants a Jim and Pam relationship with you. And, and you know... Uh, real romance uh, is is comes from God. Real romance comes from the heart of God, and, and it's shown out in Jesus' heart toward us. You know, I, I love to I love to talk to elderly couples and and talk about their love story and find out about their love story and, and find out about how they met. A lot of these couples, it's amazing. It's like, you know, it's like they they met you know, uh, right in, 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 on a leave of absence, like on a two day leave of absence and, and got married the same weekend and they've been together for 55 years. <laughs> and it's like, I mean, you know, Lord knows what they've been through in all that time, but it's astounding to me just that generation, how, how they, you know, they would, they, they took covenant seriously and they, they gave their word and they took it seriously. And not everybody in that generation, but, but so many you hear it, they, they, they met, you know, and, and, a just a, a spur of the moment kind of thing. And, and they got married and, and they've been together ever since. And that kind of thing has always astounded me because the, the amount of love and self-sacrifice it takes to stay married all that time. And of course, you know, we don't know the whole story of everything that happened, but still I know enough to say that, man, it, it, it takes strength uh, to stay committed to a person uh, that long. And, and these days we kind of all emphasize like, oh, well, you need to have this list and you need to have that and you need to do this and you need to do that and, and make sure that they're serving here and make sure they're doing that and make sure they're all this and that. And that's all great and that's all fine. You should have a you should have standards. You should have a list of, of, of what you're believing for character wise, I would not encourage you to make a big list about like just hair color, eye color. Some of that stuff is just so shallow and can change. And it's just like, I would focus more on character qualities more than anything, but it's just interesting to me how people like they just, they just made covenant and they kept it, you know, and I'm not saying that's the way to do it. A lot of things have changed. Um, but it's just amazing when people that love each other, despite whatever weaknesses they may have, despite whatever flaws they may have, you know, to me, that's the biggest picture of true love and true romance is, is not, 
um, just finding the perfect person who, who, you know, has the job that you want and has the haircut that you want and, oh, they're serving at church and they're doing this and they're on the worship team and, and all this stuff. And that's all great. And that's all fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But listen, at some point, you know, you're going to come to a place when you're going to have to show that person the mercy of God. And, you know, there's nothing I think as deep and as beautiful as somebody who looks at a person in the midst of their weakness and says, I find no fault in you. That's what Song of Solomon says. Uh, he, he said that about his bride. He said, you are all fair, my dove. There is no fault in you. Well, was that true? I mean, this is a human being we're talking about. Surely she had some kind of flaw somewhere. I mean, surely she wasn't perfect. And yet he said that about her. Why? Because he's choosing to see her that way. He, he's looking at her and saying, this is how I see you. And, and listen, this is how Jesus looks at us. This is how he sees us. He looks at us in the midst of our weaknesses. He looks at us in the midst of our flaws. He looks at us in the midst uh, of our failures and says, I find no fault in you. I, you're, you are perfect in my eyes. Why? Because the Bible says, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. And, 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 and he became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And, and when God looks at us, he doesn't see our sin. He sees the righteousness of Jesus. He says, you are all fair, my love. I find no fault in you. I, I love a story that I heard uh, a lot of people talk bad about Kenneth and Gloria Copeland, and I've had the privilege of, of knowing some of their family personally and, and working with them and things of that nature. And um, if that's not your cup of tea, that's fine. You don't have to like that. Um, but I, I'll tell you this, um, uh, everything I've ever come to know about those people has been good, and, and, and I love them. I respect them very much. <clears throat> Excuse me. But I heard a story one time of early in their marriage, um, Brother Copeland was struggling, and, and I don't know exactly what the details were, but he was struggling. Maybe it was with his weight, or maybe it was with cussing, or I don't know what it was, but he was struggling in an area of his life and his sin early, early in their marriage. And uh, he just felt so under condemnation. He felt so weak. He felt like he was a failure. He felt like he couldn't, he couldn't do anything right, and he just sat down on his chair and just kind of crying. And his little wife, Gloria Copeland, came up behind him and she put her hand on his head and she said, Ken, Jesus finds no fault in you and I find no fault in you. And he said from that moment on, he didn't struggle in that area anymore because because the love of God because of the romance of God. And that is true romance right there. That is true love. And, you know, my grandparent, my great grandparents, um, you know, they're both, they both, you know, passed away and, 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 you know, um, have moved on from this life. Um, and, uh, but, you know, I've heard stories about them and how, you know, my grandmother was a sweet little Catholic woman and, and she loved God and she loved Jesus. And, um, but, you know, my grandfather, he had a problem with alcohol and he was an alcoholic and he would get drunk and sometimes and, and um, I heard a story one time of, of he got drunk while he was mowing the lawn and he fell over and, and the lawnmower fell on top of him. And uh, I, may, I may or may not be getting this 100% accurate because stories kind of, you know, get <laughs> chopped up over time. But from what I remember, um, the story goes that she actually went and lifted the lawnmower off of him. And she's a little tiny woman. Um, 
but 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 whether that's the accurate detail or not, um, she stayed with him. She loved him for year after year after year, and he didn't abuse her or anything like that. But you know, it was a hard, it was a tough thing um, to to be able to to love somebody when they're struggling with alcoholism. And she loved him year after year after year, and I always thought that was such a good example. Uh, you know, I'm not saying that you should you should marry an alcoholic or, or if somebody's abusive, you should stay with them. I'm not saying any of that. Don't misunderstand me. But I am saying that love, you know, it doesn't just look for perfection. It actually looks for opportunities to show mercy. And, and, and even if you feel like you found the perfect person and they just match everything on your list, I'm telling you, a time will come when you will need to show them the mercy and the love of God. And that is real romance. God is the God of romance, and He's also the God of mercy, and He loves us so much. And if we want to be able to love other people in in a passionate way, we have to first have this passionate relationship with Jesus where we're receiving his love for us and we're giving our love to him and we're we're having times of intimacy with him and we're abiding in the vine because the more we do that like John 15 says the more we abide in the vine we'll bear fruit unto righteousness and the fruit of the spirit is love joy peace patience kindness gentleness humility self-control and it comes from having this rich romance this rich relationship with God and and there's nothing quite like having this relationship with God I want to be somebody who is in love with Jesus you know in the revelations it talks about how you know you're doing these things right but you've left your first love you're doing the right things but you've left your first love You're, you're checking off the list but you've left your first love we we should you know want to do what we should do what God tells us to do we should do what's right that's important but we should never do it out of this sense of just obligation it needs to come out of this love for him and and, and God will never be pleased as long as we're not putting him first not just practically speaking, not just in your tithe, that's great, but not just in, oh, I I read my chapter at the beginning of the day. No, no, no. He wants to be first place in your heart. He wants to be the center. He wants to be your first love. And I believe Jesus is calling us back to our first love with him. And the more that we are in a romantic relationship with him, the more we are receiving his romantic, passionate love for us, Listen, this will spill over into all of our relationships, um, but particularly um, if you're if you're in a relationship, dating, um, or married, or going to get married. This is how you truly have a rich romance in your life. Is you got to first get it from Him. You got to first get it from God because He is the God of romance. This has been the No Content Podcast. My name is Benjamin Pace. This is the first of a four-part series about Valentine's Day that we're getting into topics about these kind of things. But this is the one I wanted to start with is talking about the God of romance. And I wanted to put this at the beginning because God is first and He is our first love. And uh, when we have this right, it'll it'll cause all of our other relationships and things to be right. So I hope you got something out of this today. I will talk to you the next time you click play. And uh, yep, that's that's it. I don't have anything else to say. Thanks again for listening to the No Contempt podcast. If you want to, you can follow me on social media at No Contempt. Or if you don't want to, then you don't have to. So don't. Don't worry about it. But whatever you do, please remember these three things. Number one, God loves you. Number two, you are valuable. And number three, so is everyone else.
Number four, please don't forget to feed the ducks. 